1 Peter chapter 2 as we get started. 1 Peter chapter 2. What we want to do is we want to just go to the facts of Scripture. Uh, we want to deal with, in answering people who are giving us questions about the Bible, we're, we're talking about Bible difficulties. How do we answer them? And the answer is, I'll just give you the facts, okay? You, you conclude what you're going to, but let me give you the facts. The reason we're talking about is First Peter 3, just where we left off here a couple of weeks ago. He makes this comment to the saints who are in First Peter, we're in First Peter 3, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy you sh- you're supposed to be. And don't be terrified or afraid of the terror or the trouble that they're bringing unto you. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear while having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of an evildoer, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you of your good lifestyle in Christ. For it is better if the will, if the will of the Lord be so that you suffer for doing well than for doing evil. And so I paraphrased it as what we just read. And we've commented on this. Some folk will question, even oppose our beliefs. They'll challenge us. We're not to fear those challenges, but what we're supposed to do is to be able to give an answer, to be able to give an answer about the beliefs. We're not supposed to be condescending when we give the answer. I found, find that very hard. I got a phone call here yesterday, day before, day before. Got a phone call from somebody who called and said, I want to talk to one of the pastors. I have a Bible question. Great, that's fine. Since I was the only one here, I couldn't pawn it off. And uh, so I took the call, and the individual said, I have a question about your doctrinal statement. And I said, okay. And he said, your doctrinal statement says that you believe Jesus Christ is God. Then do you believe God died? And I said, well, no, we don't believe that God died, but Jesus being fully God and fully man, in his humanity, he died. And in the sense of being separated from the Father, he was separated from the Father, even, you know, the Son and the Father. And uh, in that sense, there was, and he said, well, how can you believe that? And he went on to not ask a single question, but to just list, list, list all kinds of, of ideas supporting his viewpoint. And I tried to interrupt uh, twice, but the man just kept on going. And finally, when he paused, he says, so what do you have to say about that? What do you have to say? I said, well, not much because you don't give me a chance to answer, number one. Number two, you know, I'm never going to be able to explain to your satisfaction why we believe what we believe. And then he got angry. In my spirit, I was so ticked. I found myself getting more and more angry, and, and as the conversation went, and I'm serious when I say it, in about a 15-minute conversation, maybe I spoke of one minute. That's awful for me to speak just one minute in 15 minutes. And so it was just, you know, just listing off to the point that I couldn't keep up with where he was going from, from a variety of different uh, comments that he was making. And uh, finally, when he paused, I said, you are a such-and-such a church. And he said, no, I'm not calling about our, from our church. I said, but this is, you affiliate with this group. And he says, yes, but that doesn't make any difference. How would you know that? And it's because your doctrine, you know, you're, you're a Jehovah Witness. And um, anyway, I remember while I'm on the phone thinking, I'm going to hang up on him. I'm going to say something snide to him. Uh, he's 
calling to ask a question but not even giving a chance to discuss or to answer any of the multiple questions he is asking. And then this passage came to mind. Do you ever have a passage come to mind and you don't want to go by it? Does that ever happen? And you go, God, just leave me alone. Okay, just don't remind me of this verse. Am I the only one that has those moments? You're nodding your head as if I am the only one. No, no oh, okay, okay, you've had that, okay, thank you. Um, anyhow, uh, the conversation didn't end real well, not because I got snotty or anything, but um, finally he said, well, since you can't answer anything, there's no sense talking to you, and he hung up. So, you know, that was the end of our conversation. It did stir me to think, I got to be, be careful how I respond because I was reacting to his attitude more than his questions. Okay? Do, when we talk about Bible, do we create an attitude of an attack mode that would turn somebody off from even discussing scriptures? So that was a good reminder for me. Uh, the idea of living consistent, we've talked about already. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, we want to get to this question this gentleman asked me because this is a season to talk about who is Christ. But before we get there, we talked already about is there a God? We gave several different thoughts along that line. Here's where we left off last time. Why do you believe that there's a trinity? Okay, we state in our doctrinal statement, we believe that there is a trinity. There's a Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. All three are one. Okay, why do you believe that? Don't say because our church says so. Okay, the Bible, what Bible verse would you have? Maybe you don't know the reference, but if you have an idea. Okay, 1 John has a verse that talks about these three, the Father, Son, the Spirit. Okay, 1 John 5, there's a challenge to that verse. Uh, the reason being is um, 1 John 5. I don't even put the verse up. The reason that, let me see if we can find it real quick. 1 John 5, uh, there, yeah, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Phenomenal verse from a Trinitarian point of view. Anybody, anybody have a different translation? Then I'm using King James. Anybody have another translation? Okay, does it have a footnote to it? To that verse? Which translation are you using? A Jewish Bible? Okay. The reason I'm bringing it up, and you just may want to look and see if a footnote, is if, um, that a number of the different translations will, will highlight that verse and bring up the comment that it doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts. You know, there's a debate whether this was part of the original 1 John, that verse, or it was inserted years later during the argument of is there a trinity or isn't there? And there's manuscript evidence that makes it a questionable challenge. So if you're going to deal with that verse, make sure that you understand that some people are going to say, that's not in my Bible. And then you have to explain, okay, why that's not there. Are there other verses that would give us indication that you looked up? Anybody? Mark 1. What do you got? Mark 1. Okay, okay. 
Okay, Mark chapter 1, you're at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And at the baptism, what were you saying, Joyce, so that everybody can hear us? Okay, okay, all three are present at that singular moment, okay, which is a very important fact, just the facts, that's a fact we have to come back to. Anybody have another reference? What's that? Okay, baptism in the name of the, okay, and you're going to point out in the name singular, but Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Okay. Good, excellent indications, excellent. Let's, let's make sure that we're all on the same page when we get into this, this discussion. Okay. Because the essence of what the man who called me, um, the essence of Jehovah's uh, Witness theology, is that there is no trinity. Jesus is, was not God, he became a God. He was created. And we'll talk about that later on, but they use one phrase more than anything else, the only be begotten Son of God, okay? And in the English, what does begotten seem to indicate? A beginning, a beginning, okay? And that's not true in the Greek language, in the original language, but it is in the English language. And so that's where the argument is, comes up. Um, so if we don't believe in a trinity, here's what the different views were that were suggested over a period of time. Some suggested that this idea, and by the way, there, there is no phrase, trinity or word in the scriptures, that that word is developed in time to explain. There's no Sunday school. That phrase isn't in scripture. Rapture, that phrase isn't in scripture. But the teaching is there. Um, so it's never mentioned. <clears throat> there is never a singular text that explains this in depth. Okay, there is indications of it, but that shouldn't bother us because Genesis 1-1, when we talk about God beginning, there's not an explanation of God in the beginning, right? It just makes the assumption. Okay, and so the same thing here, there's the assumption that is made. Um, it's impossible for, for us to comprehend this idea of three in one. With our finite minds, we just can't complete... There's nothing that fully we can relate to and say, oh, this is the same as the Trinity. Nothing like that. We can use illustrations, but they all fall short. And there's a number of mysteries, okay? The mystery of the incarnation, the virgin birth. You aren't going to be able to fully explain it to a doubter's full satisfaction. Does that make sense? Okay. We accept it by faith, okay? And so we accept the idea of the Trinity by faith based on several facts. But those who reject it say, well, here's what it is. There's multiple gods, the highest being, were the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. There's an explanation that says there's three gods, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. But they were three independent gods, just like you would have Zeus and Hera and Apollo. They worked in harmony. Or, this is a very common, and common thought um, in a lot of theologies, Okay, Joyce, what you brought up is really important in answering this. Okay, the idea that God was God, but then he changed into the appearance of Jesus Christ, and then he came into the appearance of the Holy Spirit. So it's the same person who appeared in three different forms over a period of time. However, Joyce, what you point out is they're all there at the same time. Okay, they all appear distinct 
at the same time. So this theology is wrong, but it's still very commonly promoted. Very commonly promoted. Or the idea of the Jehovah Witness would teach this. Jesus was a, was a created God. Created by the, by the Father, the only begotten, etc., etc., etc. But you and I say, okay, we're just dealing with facts of Scripture. The facts of Scripture is, says this, okay? There is only one God. There are multiple verses that state this. That, that verse that they taught little kids, the very first verse, the Shema passage. If you grew up in a Jewish home, they would teach you the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, Isaiah talks, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Okay, statements like this. There is one God, one mediator between God and men. Statements that go like this. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. There is none other God but one. Okay, the Bible's very clear. Just the facts. There is one God. There's another, another set of facts. This one God describes himself as having a multiple nature. Um, you know, he, he's got a Sybil complex. Do you remember that? that you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Um, years ago, that case of the person who had multiple personalities, that became Sybil, they made a film out of butter. This, the scriptures give indication. Um, you had mentioned, Neil, that, I think it was you, that the, one of the indications of a plural nature was, do you remember? I thought you had been the one. Elohim, his name, Elohim is singular. Elohim is plural. But it uses it repeatedly, even when it says like there is one God, there is one Elohim. It always uses Elohim for God, but the word itself has a plural concept. And yet it's, he's described as one. So we have these other passages. Let us make God in our image. Okay, you know, and this is, this is correct by the original language. You've got somebody talking as if there's plurality here. Can you think of any other texts that talk about plurality? I'll give, I'll give you a couple. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Now, let's, you know, lest he be put forth his hand, take the tree of life. We have to put him out of the garden. Another one. Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees God high and lifted up in the temple, and the question is asked, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And, re- and Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. Okay. There's another, the, the idea of Elohim. So the facts are one God, but this one God is expressed in the idea of multiplicity. There's multiple, a plural nature. Another fact, that there are three individuals specifically called God in the Bible. Jehovah Elohim, okay, the Father, shows up multiple times. We understand that concept. That's made comments by Jesus, made comments throughout Scripture. And I've just put up just a very few pieces of Scripture evidence that give you verses that say, God the Father, or the Father is God. And so we have that one part of the plural nature. The Father is God. Very clearly in Scripture. Can you think of other passages in Scripture where the Son is called God? Okay. What, do you remember what it says? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Just thinking through how it's phrased. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is called God. Any other passages? Okay, we're going we're gonna to develop that one a little bit more. Um, let's do this one. Okay, whose fathers, and of, this is talking about the Jews, who are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Jesus called God. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We know that the Son has come, hath given us understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So very clearly, in fact, uh, what did one of the men fall down and say? My Lord and my... God, okay? Uh, Thomas answering in, in uh, John chapter 28 when he was doubting. So we have, we have evidences that Jesus is called God. Where do we have evidence that the Spirit is called God? You're in the book of Acts is a clear one. Yep, yep. We're in this passage, okay? When he's confronting Ananias and Sapphira, he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And he goes on to keep back part of the price of the land while it remained. It was in your own hands. After it was sold, it was still in your power. You have conceived this thing in your heart. You have not lied unto men, but unto God. So in that same verse, the Holy Spirit is who you lied to. You lied unto God very clearly. Uh, know ye not you are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Indication the Spirit is God. Fact, there's one God. Plural nature. Three peoples are called God. Those are facts. Another fact in Scripture. These three are distinct from each other. This goes back to that modalism. Is the, is, did the Father become the Son and the Son become the Father and just transition? Or did they maintain distinct identities? Okay, here's a passage. The Lord has a Son that is distinct. This is Psalm 2, and um, Thelma Wolf was telling me this was the text that she was reading and really clearly indicated there's a distinction between the Father and the Son. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, the Lord, capital letters, indicates what? L-O-R-D, capital letters. What, what is the name given there? Jehovah or Yahweh, great. Said unto me, you are my son, this day have I begotten thee. And then it says basically, kiss the son or raise him up. Blessed are all those who put his trust. Distinction between the father and the son. The one is speaking to the other. Okay, distinction. Hebrews. Unto the son he said, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee, the son different. And this is quoting, somebody could double check, it's, it's a book of Psalms that he's quoting in this text. But it's God the Father speaking to the Son and indicating that those two are distinct once again. For God, is there a distinction in this verse? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Okay, so we have a distinction. We have a distinction with Jesus Christ when he talks about the Father as being distinct from him. Can you think of any times where Jesus indicated he and the Father are distinct? On the cross, where do you have, what statements? There's a couple of them, in fact. Okay, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Okay, into thy Okay, okay, great, excellent. Okay, in fact, uh, just even before that was the other one. Yeah, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And so you have that clearly indicated in scriptures that the Father and the Son are distinct. Jesus makes this common. This is that, um, that uh, upper room discourse with the disciples. He said, I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter. Okay, and, and again, I'm... I, I, I don't, I don't mean to discount the English, but English doesn't always give us the clarity of some of the text. In the original text, they had two different words for another or an other, halos and heteros in the Greek language. They were clear when they were used. In this text, for instance, it's, I will give you one like me. Or the other could be somebody totally unlike me. And so the Greek word that's used here is one very similar or of the same kind as me. And so Jesus is saying in this text, there's the Father, there's himself, and there's the Spirit. He's distinguishing all three. And then we have comments about how they're unique uh, in that they are one. Uh, Sherry, was that you that said that one passage, I and the Father? are one, okay? Jesus says that comment. He talks about, you know, keep the saints together, that they may be one even as we are one, that they may be one as the Father is with me. And so there's the indication that though distinct, there is a unique unity between these individuals. But as we pointed out, they all appear at the same time. As Joyce mentioned about the baptism, You have the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, the dove, the Spirit coming down like a dove. And then you have Jesus Christ being baptized. You have the same thing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament where people will say, okay, the Jewish concept is not that there could have been a trinity. But that's not true. Jewish concept teaches us this, that when the Messiah speaks... He will say, come near unto me and hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there, and now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. So out of the Old Testament, we have three being distinguished as from the very, at the very beginning that they were there, working in harmony. As well, Isaiah says it again, the Spirit of the Lord referring to Messiah. Okay, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel and to proclaim liberty. So in the Old Testament, there is a multiplicity of natures presented. Those are the facts that we have in scriptures. We have the fact that in scripture, they are equally recognized. Bob already mentioned Matthew chapter 28. The same thing shows up in 2 Corinthians when he gives the benediction about the idea of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit be upon you. So they're, they're in thought, they're equated as having an equality and recognition. They all three are involved in God works. What I mean that by that is they are all three stated as being involved in things that only God can do. Uh, give me an idea. What is, what is one of the things that all three were involved in in time past? Creation. Creation. We have in the beginning God created the heavens. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. The Word was God and all things were made by Him. Salvation. Man can't produce this, but salvation is a 
work that all three were involved in. We are elect by the foreknowledge of God, then the sanctification of the Spirit, the obedience by the blood of Jesus Christ, all three involved in sanctification. The idea that we are bound to give thanks always to God, brethren, beloved of the Lord, Jesus Christ, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. So all three are doing God works. So we have all these facts that we keep on putting together. That there is one God. He has a plural nature that is stated in scriptures. Three peoples are called God. And yet they say that they all work together and in perfect harmony. So what do you do with that? You either have to adjust the idea that they, they aren't all at one time. Okay, then you forget his, the baptism and you forget Isaiah. Or you say, the son wasn't eternal. But the, he, talks, he is called in Isaiah 9-6, eternal God. Okay, so, so you have to twist scripture somewhere and forget certain clauses of scripture that describe this. Or you have to come to the, po- the conclusion that there is one God, but he has three persons. Okay, three in one, one in three, a concept. And so we end up with the Trinity. And so when the man asked me on the phone, can you explain that to me? My answer is, not to your satisfaction. Okay? Can you explain the Trinity beyond this? No. Why not? Yeah, it's, it's by faith. This is a, this is a, a concept that's hard. What, what could we use? What have people used to indicate just illustrations? Okay, we're going to get to the first one that church historians came up with was the beginning of the pretzel. Okay, and they even used it in the sense of trying to show that this was one but had three, and yet which part is the pretzel? Is it is it the top left, top right, or the bottom? It's all of it. Okay, and so they use this, and this came in the Middle Ages as being a means of teaching kids. Trinitarian concept that it's all pretzel, but there's three parts combined in one. Okay, is it a flawed illustration? Yeah, it's a limited illustration. Some of you said water. Okay, what is water? Is it does it appear in solid? Yes, no. It's going to show up pretty soon in solid. Okay. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. Or fortunately, it depends. Okay, water's a liquid. Okay, is water gaseous? Yeah, okay. So which part is water? They're all water, okay? But again, it's an illustration that's flawed. Okay, it has limitations, but it gives us that concept. Some have, have you ever seen the clover used? Any of you? Yes, no? I was hoping one of you, because people have said, oh, the clover is used, and I don't know how they do it. And I was hoping you were going to explain it to me. Other than there's three parts, but it, they're all together. They make a single clover. Now, the one that you said is the egg. Somebody want to explain this one? Okay. Okay, so what's the egg? Or do you call the yolk the egg at times? Do you call the white the egg? Do you call the shell the egg? Yeah. But there's three parts, but they're all, they're all one. 
Some have suggested this, nature itself. This one was, was new to me and just doing a little bit of research on how to explain it. They said creation itself. Because creation is made up of three basic parts. There's matter, space, and time. If you take it away, okay, right. And then they went on to say, and watch how you can break it down. You can break down matter, which is solid, liquid, or gas. You can break down space, which is usually height, breadth, okay, length. And how do you break down time? Past, future, okay. And so all these concepts, and yet they're all limited because they're finite and God is infinite. Now, here's a question that I think is really important for us to answer. You answer this one. This concept of, of Trinity, does it have any practical value to our everyday life? Or is it a theological idea that we just kind of put there in our cabinet shelf with our china of different theological things and it stays there and this is what we have for show and tell but we never use it. Can you think in any way the idea of Trinity how that impacts our life? Okay. 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 So in, a, in your walk with the Lord are all three a vital part of your walk with the Lord. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Spirit, the Son, God himself, okay? Here's, here's what some have suggested. Practical impact is in this way. It tells us God is worthy of worship because God is so much bigger and different than us. Okay, what did most people do with concepts of God years and years and years ago. What do most people take with this idea of an amazing creator? Let's go back to the middle, uh, go back to the Mediterranean countries. What did they do with the concept of a creator? They made him human. They brought him down to our level so that the gods would be, what's that? Yeah, and then what kind of characters were they? Okay, flawed characters? Did they get angry? Jealous? Were they given to immorality? Yeah, those, those gods that they worship. Our God that we're talking about with this concept, he is beyond our total comprehension. He is beyond our ability, which in a way that we struggle with, but at the same time, isn't there something positive about this idea that he is bigger than we are? That he is more magnificent? It helps us to understand grace in creating. How is that? Okay. It goes back to why did God create? Did God have fellowship before there was people? Yeah, he did. In his Trinitarian form, he had perfect fellowship. So why did he create? The bottom line is, he didn't need us for company. He created by a pure act of grace. Some have suggested this. This idea of a trinity gives us an example of working together in harmony. Let me, let me, let me suggest something to you or ask you a question this way. In the trinity, is one more God than the other?
But how do you normally state it? Do you usually state it in a certain father? Okay. Are they all God? Okay. Do they submit one to another? First Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11. This is a really important text in everyday life. The reason I'm going to, I'm going to ask, are you called to submit? Yes or no? Okay, to who? Well, to God, okay. Who else do we have to submit to? To one another, excellent. Your employer. Okay, spouse, okay. The law, government, okay. Usually, okay, let, let me give you the illustration. Usually when, you, when we say that when it's submission to your spouse, which one are we talking to and of? The wife submit to the husband. How do most people respond to the thought of submission with the wife to the husband? Is it looked as positive? Is it looked as negative? Okay, okay. And, and because it's looked negative, what do most people say that that is implying about the woman? She's inferior. Okay. Here, this text is so, so amazing how God put submission in the Trinity and equated it to submission between husband and wife. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. It is an amazing illustration where if you look in this text... Um, Look down to verse 8. We're jumping right in the middle of it. He says in verse 8, um, the man is not created for the woman, but what? The woman for the man. Okay. And in those previous couple verses, she is to basically give glory to the one who's the head of her, which is in, on this earth. The man. Okay. Now go back to the beginning of the chapter. Now I praise you, brethren, that you keep this in mind and keep the ordinances as I delivered unto you. I would have you to know the head of every man is... Okay. The head of the woman is man. The head of Christ is... Oh, oh, time out. Does this passage say the woman is inferior to the man? No. Not at all. Otherwise, if you say that, then Christ is inferior to God. So why in the Trinity is there some form of setup? The Father sent the Son, then the Holy Spirit is sent, and the Holy Spirit's job is to magnify the Son. God of order. He's a God of order. Even within the Trinity, there is an aspect of submitting one to another. Just like Ephesians 5, 21 and 22 talks. That in the family unit, the, the head of the home is the husband, but even the husband is to submit to his wife. Okay, in the sense of we all have to work within our role. And in our role, the major uh, responsibility to the man, after it says submit one to another, the major responsibility of the man is to love his wife, and her major responsibility is to follow the husband. And so it works in a harmonious way, just as in the Trinity. 
In the Trinity, there's a perfect communion where they work together. There's no jealousy. There's no conflict. And there was submission, submissive uh, coordination within this Godhead, which is a challenge for us, which is a good illustration for us that following leadership doesn't mean we're inferior, but we're taking our role, trying to keep harmony and order. Um, another one helps us to understand the love of God. How so? How does the Trinity, when you look at this concept Trinity, how is the love of God magnified? How so? You, Christ is the key here. Yeah. How so? Well, God sent, sent his son. God says his son, who willingly comes, who suffers what? Death. What's death? Separation. separation from, where was Christ's separation? Okay. We're from the Father. How do we know that? While on the cross, the only time in his, in his earthly existence that he uses the term, my God. Every other time, what does he say? Father. So my God, my God, why have you? Okay, so the love of God portrayed that Jesus willingly sacrificed and allowed, I don't know what other term to use, okay? He allows a rupture within the Trinity for this moment. Why would he do that? For God so... Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing that in this perfect element. So we come to the doctrine, and I didn't even put down what was the most important that you had mentioned. The most in the practical sense is our everyday life. How the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are involved in it. And so this doctrine, the idea, it's a foundational truth to our beliefs. It is a belief that it's still a great mystery to us. We can't fully understand it or comprehend it because we're finite, he's infinite. Although we do not understand it, we accept it by faith based upon the facts of Scripture. One God, plural nature, three are called God, three are working together in harmony, and they coexist at the same time, they appear at moments. How else do we explain it but three in one? And so we understand that by faith. Now here's a question for you. This is a goofy one, but it's a question that about three months ago I ran into it. Okay, the question somebody asks is, where did God come from and what was he doing prior to creation? How do you answer this one? By the way, this was from one of your teens that said, Hi, you know, some of my friends and I were talking about it and we were wondering, where did God come from and what was he doing before creation? It's a legitimate question to ask, okay, to think about. What, what do you know about this question? How would you answer it? Go ahead, Greg. Okay, okay. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, it's, it's, you're using the idea of a round peg in a square hole, okay, or vice versa, is we're trying to plug things in that really don't fit. Okay, this is based on our understanding as a round peg trying to put God, who is a square, to be just like us. Okay, what distinguishes, in this question, what, what is the distinguishing feature between us and God? We're created. We're finite. Keep going a little bit more. Okay. He's eternal, but we operate. Okay. We, everything we do is time and space. Yes? 
Okay, we're, we're watching our clock. Some of you are doing, watching it right now. When is he done? Okay, when is he going to get done? Are we time-oriented? Everything, everything we do. Is that an okay thing? Is that okay or not? Okay, it's a good thing. I mean, why are you here today? Because it's Sunday. It's time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why is it time, Lloyd? Okay. Okay. It's, it's, somebody said it. It's what day? Okay. We're into that mode of time. Who gave us time? Okay. And does God operate with time? Does he operate with time? With time. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm throwing words in here. Okay, if you can do it's time, I can do something goofy too. Okay, okay. Does God operate with time? With it. He does. But where would we stop? Say God is blank. He's outside of time. Okay, which basically here's, where, here's how I answered it to this young person. The question, and I think, Greg, if this follows just what you were saying, the question is founded on the concept of space and time, which that's the way we operate. Right. I mean, okay, concepts and law, space and time, with, and there is laws, right? Time has laws. Space has laws, yes? Okay, there's laws that God created. As creator, he's not bound by them. He lives outside of them. Therefore, I just said, he's outside of those things. So that brings us to the idea that did he create all things including time? By that verse? Yes? Okay. And by these verses, okay, when we think about time, a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. What's the author trying to get at? God is not bound by time. Okay, time is different. <laughs> uh, does time change the concept of time, the feeling of time? Does it change as you get older? How so? It's going faster, right? Okay, okay. So when I first started college, okay, did Miss Mears? Do you think this way? College is going to be forever. Does it feel that way? At times, sometimes. Okay, and what year are you in? You're in your second year. I remember my second year of college going, ah, two more years. I'm going to get it. I'm going to be in college until I'm 21. That's almost all my life. Okay. And now I look at college and what happened? I blinked and it was gone. Okay. Is there hope in that? Yes. <laughs> but our concept of time changes. Right? I mean, if I asked you, how old is old? Okay. If, <laughs> your wife just went like this. <laughs> she, Heather didn't do that. She didn't. Okay. Okay. How old, it changes our, our concept of what's old changes, yes? How does it change? The older we get, the older the, t- yeah, right? Right? And then, Jay, what do we do? Jay, when somebody says, how you're doing? What did you say this morning? Yeah, you made the comment, I'm feeling my age. Yeah, okay. It happens. So he's getting at the idea that time with God is, is just like a fleeting moment. And we read that in the New Testament. One day with the Lord is a thousand years. 
this isn't giving us a timetable for prophecy. It's just a statement that with God, time is just, yeah. It, it, it goes like this. This guy's talking to God, and he says, how long is a million years to you? And God says, it's about a minute to you. And then he says, how much is a million dollars to you? And God says, it's about one penny to you. And the man responds, well, then can I have a million dollars? And God says, in just a minute. Okay. Okay. So when we think about this idea of where did God come from, basically he's finite, we're infinite. Okay, that's, that's our struggle. Can we f- explain what God did before creation to somebody's satisfaction? We can't. All I can do is give a reasonable answer for the hope that is within me, but at the same time, I accept the facts by, by faith. Okay, and so we come to that conclusion. So what did God do? He never revealed the information to us. This sounds harsh, and I don't mean it to be as harsh. He didn't reveal it to us. Therefore, we have no idea what he did before he created, and quite frankly, it's really none of our business. Okay, if he didn't reveal it to us, it's not necessary for us to know. It's just not necessary. Here's a question where we're going to just, I want you to think about this. Okay? Think this through. Okay? Do you believe Christianity is exclusive? Is it the only valid religion? Okay. Is it the only way to get to God? Christianity. Do you believe that? Okay, here, watch this. Here's a survey just taken not too long ago. Okay? They asked to agree or disagree. A person who is generally good or does enough good things for others will earn their place in heaven. Okay, now we think it's wrong. Okay, because this is based on good works. But in America, 48% agreed with this. Okay, almost half the people agreed with this. I was surprised, quite frankly, it wasn't more. Okay, next question was this. When you die, you will, do you agree with this? When you die, you will get to heaven only if you have confessed your sins and accept Jesus as your Savior. Now, we agree to that one, yes? Okay. And in that survey, 33% agreed. Okay. Again, I was surprised that this one was as high as it was. This is the one that bothers me. Okay. Taking those who say that, and they interviewed and they broke it down, those who were 18 to 40 years of age. They asked them this statement, do you agree or disagree? Believing in Buddha, Muhammad, or Jesus are all equally valid paths to God. This is asked of those who claim to be born again. Evangelicals. Those who you must be born again. The percentage of young adults that said Muhammadism, Buddhism, they are just as valid as Christianity was 60%. 60% of those who claim that they're following the Bible for heaven. That is outrageous. That is scary. Because then, what are they saying to other people? You, you, you really aren't lost. You can get to heaven by other ways. So what does that take? The majority of, of American young adults who claim to be born again... What have they lost by saying this statement? 
They've lost faith. They've lost, they've lost any reason whatsoever to give out the gospel. Right? Because anything, anything goes. What does the Bible say about that? Now, and let me, let me close on this. By us saying Christianity is exclusive, there's only one way to God. Are you popular or unpopular? Unpopular. Okay, let's figure out where we go from there. Okay, think about it next week. We'll come back. How come we say Christianity is exclusive? It's the only way to heaven. Okay, got verses for that to back it up next week. Thanks.